Revelations 4, 1 and 2. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I, which I heard was like a trumpet sounding, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on that throne. Please be seated. Once again, we say welcome to all of our guests. We're glad that you are here. If you have one of those cards that filled out, please pass it to the inside aisle, and they'll be picked up at this time. Today we start something that I may regret. We start a year-long study on the book of Revelation. Let me urge you in the coming weeks to definitely uh, uh, pick up a bulletin. In that bulletin there will be a lot of supplemental information. There's just a little bit today. In coming weeks there's going to be a lot there in the bulletin article. We're here to study the book of Revelation. Recently, about a month ago, I, um, I told a friend of mine who is a preacher like me, I, I told him of my plans for doing a new sermon series on the book of Revelation. And my preacher friend, he said this, Michael, you're an idiot. Uh, it hurt then it hurts even worse now seeing it in big letters like that. Um, furthermore, when I told him that I was going to skip chapters 1, 2, and 3 and start on chapter 4, he said this, Michael, you are insane. Uh, why did my friend say that to me? Because he's a friend. Uh, you know, he's a friend. It's this. Here's why I'm starting in chapter 4. The book of Revelation, along with probably uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in Jude, may be the least preached on books in the entire New Testament. In fact, I would guess that over 98% of the sermons I've heard on the book of Revelation have only been on chapters 1, 2, and 3. Uh, those three chapters are fairly easy to preach on. Those are the chapters dealing with the seven churches of Asia. Preachers, for the most part, rarely preach on Revelations chapters 4 through chapter 22. Thus, I'm starting in chapter 4. I'm starting a sermon series this morning on Revelation, and then also a new sermon series this evening on Joshua. Joshua is Lads the Leaders' 2022 study book. Now, as we look at uh, the book of Revelation, I was reminded uh, some time ago, I came across a, a list of statements that sometimes describe lives, our lives at different times. In a way, they're actually just restatements of the old Murphy's Law. Number one, it said, nothing is as easy as it looks. That's so true. 
you know, often it's harder than it looks. Number two, everything takes longer than you think. Oh, that's certainly true. And here's the big one. If anything can go wrong, it will. We are facing a time period in our country when a lot of things are going wrong. We're facing problems. We're facing troubles. We're facing difficulties. And because of that, we need the message that is found in the book of Revelation. We certainly need that message because life has its troubles. But these troubles that we have today are actually nothing compared to the time of problems and troubles as described in the book of Revelation. How hard was it? In the past month, I have tried to read everything I could find, both by Christians and even non-Christians, talking about the persecution that the Romans brought upon the church. I will tell you this, the closest thing that I could compare it to would be the Holocaust of the 1930s and 1940s. I mean, this was a difficult time in the life of these new Christians. And Jesus himself, he wants to get a message to them. Don't give up. It's so easy to give up. Don't give up. Look to the final victory. My approach on how I handle the book of Revelation is really guided by my primary focus. What was the message given to John? What was the message to those who first received it? What is John, writing by inspiration, trying to get over to that first century and second century church? My secondary focus, what applications can we make to you and me today? What applications can we make to you and me today? Now, I want you to remember something. As we go through this for the next year, I may be wrong. In fact, I probably will be wrong from time to time in how I handle this book. You may look at a passage and say, well, Michael, it's as clear as the nose on your face. That passage is talking about Hitler. Or this passage is talking about Osama bin Laden. Even one person I read recently was convinced that the book of Revelation has passages dealing with our recent pandemic. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. But that's not how I handle the book. I'm looking and saying, what did that first century and second century church need to hear? They didn't need to hear about Hitler or Osama bin Laden or even a pandemic. They needed to hear that Jesus was going to be victor and that reward was waiting for them. I believe Revelation has a message for you and me. 
In fact, that's why I'm calling this series, Revelation, a message for you and me. Because we need to hear that. Things were tough back then. Very tough. And from a human perspective, it looks like it's a time of just total chaos. But there is a divine perspective, a heavenly perspective, that helps us understand not only the persecution that was happening in the late 1st and early 2nd century, but also the problems that we face in our everyday lives. Go back to verse number 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open, inviting John to come and look. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here. I want you to see this. Come up here, and I will show you things which much take place after this. This is describing what would happen after chapters 1, 2, and 3. In chapters 2 and 3, uh, Jesus himself gives those warnings to those seven churches of Asia. And now, to all of Christianity, we've got to know what is taking place. Rome is going to rise up in tremendous opposition to you. Don't give up. Jesus is speaking right here to the Apostle John, and he invites him to see the future. But he wants you to see the future, not from earth's perspective, but from heaven's perspective. Verse number 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. Amen. The first thing John sees is God sitting on His throne. Likewise, in the middle of our problems, of our difficulties, of our struggles, we must stay focused on God, on His throne. In fact, notice what I call this lesson. In the middle of your problems, look to God on His throne. See God on His throne. Like these early Christians, we must remind ourselves that God is in charge. God has never, he's never become absent from his throne. He's never left his throne. He is on his throne right now, and no one can knock him off that throne. In other words, we need to see God as sovereign. God as sovereign. He is the sovereign God. He is the one in charge. Near the late 19th century, a horrible tornado struck Rochester, Minnesota. Many people died in that tornado. They didn't have the warning system that we have today. A doctor and his two sons decided to go to Rochester to uh, help out. And in helping out, they decided to start a clinic there in Rochester. The doctor's name was Dr. William W. Mayo. His two sons were William J. and Charles Mayo. And they formed what we call today Mayo's Clinic. 
That clinic now has over 500 physicians, and it serves over 200,000 patients a year. I'm sure if you were to ask the citizens of Minnesota about the Rochester tornado at that time, they would have said it was all about death and destruction and an unqualified disaster. That was from their perspective. Through the perspective of time, we see it in a better light. The tornado was really about life, about help, and about healing. That reminds us that God is always up to something good. And even in the tragedies of our lives, our great and glorious God still reigns no matter what happens. The early Christians needed to hear that, and we do too. Verse number 3. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. What's happening? John is trying to convey to us a heavenly picture using earthly words, and he's struggling. He uses precious stones to try to convey how grand and glorious it truly is. God shines with a brilliance that can be really humanly described. John uses three uh, uh, very valuable, very precious stones to describe the beauty of our Lord of our God, our Sovereign. He's a God of glory. More than that, He's also a God of grace. Look at who's with Him in the throne room of heaven. Verse number 4. Around the throne were 24, circle that number, 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24, circle that number again, Elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. Who's this 24? Let me tell you what I think. And once again, I could be wrong. I think this 24 is representing all of those who have overcome, who have been faithful, who have claimed the victory. I believe 24 is a representative number for the faithful, obedient believers of all ages. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 12, there we're told that that 12 represents the 12 tribes. In other words, Old Testament, the Old Testament faithful. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 14, that number 12 represents what? The 12 apostles, New Testament, representing the faithful obedient of the New Testament. 12 Old Testament, 12 New Testament combined is 24. All the faithful Obedient believers are there. They're around the throne and they're worshiping God. We get to worship God up close and personal. Isn't that wonderful? The point is this. God will share His throne room 
with the likes of us. Can you believe that? What grace. What wonderful, tremendous grace. Someone once offered this picture of grace. They said, if someone brutally murders your son and takes things in his own hands, that's revenge. If you are content to allow the law and the courts to arrest and punish the offender, that's justice. But if you pardon the murderer, adopt him and take him home to live with you as your son, that's grace. Friends, that's exactly what God did for you and me. We brutally murdered his son on the cross. It was our sins that put him there. But God forgives us when we obey Him. More than that, He adopts us as His own family and He will take us to His heavenly home to live with Him as His children. That is true grace. True grace. But even more than that, He will let us rule and reign with Him. As joint heirs with His Son, Jesus Christ, He shares His throne room with people like you and me. Now that's grace. In time of deep problems, and we face more problems now than we ever have, we need to remember that. In times of troubles, and we face tremendous troubles, in our land, in our world. We need to see that our sovereign God is full of grace and glory. More than that, we need to see that our sovereign God is what? Strong and mighty. Look at verse 5. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. God has a powerful voice. It's a voice which spoke the worlds into existence. It's a voice which breaks the cedars. It's a voice which shakes the earth. In a time of problems and troubles, we can't forget that. Our sovereign God is strong and well able to take care of us in any situation. A little girl asked her father, Daddy, how big is God? The father replied, honey, he's always just a little bigger than what you actually need. Our God is big. I don't care how big the problems, God is always bigger. Don't forget that in your time of problems. Don't forget that our sovereign God is full of grace and glory. Don't forget that our sovereign God is strong and mighty. And don't forget that our sovereign God, He knows your needs. He sees everything. And He is well aware of all that is happening in every place. Go back to verse 5 again. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. What's happening here? These seven spirits are described in chapter 5 of Revelation as the seven eyes of God. 
which are sent out into all the earth. Verse number 6. Seven is one of those perfect numbers. In fact, it's the supreme perfect number of perfection in the Bible. These are seven lamps before the throne, which perfectly illuminates everything. In other words, God sees with perfect perception. His eyes are in all the earth. He's well aware of all that is happening. God is not surprised by our needs, by our problems. God is not sitting up in heaven saying, I wish they would tell me what's happening down there. Because God already knows. He is completely aware of our needs and problems. Please remember that in the midst of your trial, in the times of troubles, remember that our sovereign God knows your desperate need, but He's not in a panic. Even when the whole world is in, what a turmoil. God is at peace. The throne room of heaven is calm. Verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. That's like a cool, clear lake. On a windless day, the water is calm like a sea of glass. When the whole earth is in turmoil, the control center of the universe is calm because God is in control. 1997, a first-time nuclear sub-captain was given command over a sub that patrolled in the Mediterranean Sea. He left from the port outside of Athens and quickly submerged into the Mediterranean Sea. If you're not aware of this, the port there at Athens is extremely busy. A lot of ships coming back and forth all the time. And that first time captain was in his, uh, his uh, area there, his uh, command uh, room, and he noticed things kind of shaking there and moving around on the table. And he thought, I better go check on the, on the control room. So he walks down to where his men are there at the control system. They're there at the pilot room. And he sees each man making the necessary maneuvers to protect the sub. And they're making the, the changes and, and doing the things that were required to keep that sub safe from all that turbulence happening all around them. That's kind of like what it is in heaven. Even though we have turbulence here on earth, it is calm in heaven. God is not in a panic. He sees everything. And He is truly in control. That's the true picture of heaven we have. In heaven's throne room, when all around us is chaos and danger, in the control room of the universe, there's peace. There's a quiet peace where God is in absolute, circle that word absolute, absolute control of our destiny. In a time of problems, we need to see that. 
We need to see that God is sovereign. We need to see that God has everything under control. Then in times of problems, we need to see what? That God is special. God is special. Always has been, always will be. We need to understand there is no other sovereign like Him. He is holy. He is unique. He's in a class all by Himself. Unlike any other ruler, that's what the heavenly, heavenly beings see. Verse 6. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. In my bulletin article, I talk a little bit about this. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Unlike any other ruler whose power is limited, our God is almighty. And like any other ruler who lives and dies, our God is eternal. He was and is and is to come. There is no beginning or end to His reign. He is the holy God. That means there is none like Him. You recognize this picture, Wizard of Oz. They're on a quest. Go ask the wizard to help them. And when they enter his throne room, what do they see? They see light, lights flashing. They see sound. Uh, uh, they see smoke. Uh, they see all this. And then they hear a voice. A voice that says, I am the Oz. The great and terrible. But you know what happens. The little dog Toto, he grabs the edge of the curtain and pulls back the curtain to reveal that it's really just a man pulling a bunch of levers and making a lot of sounds. That's the way it is with rulers of the world. They must put on a false show of power. Because they're just mere men like the rest of us. Not so with the Lord our God. He is the Holy One. That means He alone is great. And He alone is able to take care of any need. Early Christians, you need to hear that. Christians of the 21st century, we need to hear that too. In your times of trouble... Please understand that, see the God who is sovereign. See the God who is special. Unlike any other sovereign, then bow down and worship Him. Give Him honor and praise. Submit to Him like the rest of heaven does. Verse number 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. 
The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you. You created all things and by your will they exist and were created. The early Christians needed to hear that, and we do too. One day, one day we'll all cast our crowns before that throne. We'll acknowledge that He alone has the right to rule, because He alone created all things. I walked the valley of death's shadows, so deep and dark that I could barely breathe. I had to let go of more than I could bear, and I question everything that I believed. Still, even here in the great darkness, a comfort, a hope comes breaking through. So I can say in life or death, God, we belong to you. Amen. That's what believers from all the ages have discovered. We belong to you. We belong to God. Do you want to find peace in the midst of your troubles? Then like the saints from all the ages, see the holy God on His throne. Surrender to Him. Like the picture tells us, in the middle of your problems, look to God on His throne. Know that He's in control and that we one day will gain the victory. Are you a Christian this morning? Do you believe? Will you repent? Will you confess? Will you be baptized? If you read those verses, and your Bible is one of those, what we call a red letter Bible, those verses are in red. Jesus himself said all that. If you are a Christian and not living faithful to him, do you need to seek forgiveness? 1 John 1, 9, he will forgive. The church stands ready to pray with you and for you, James 5, 16. We'll have two elders down here waiting for you, waiting for you to make that decision to follow Him. Will you do so as we stand and sing for your encouragement? Oh.